All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, before I forget, um, I'll try to say something at the end again. But uh, I've got some new bookmarks for you if you've been here through Ephesians. And uh, I broke it down into four bookmarks. And um, my idea is that we can work on them on a rotating basis, like week one, do this, week two, do this. That way, in a four-week time span, you've read through the book of Ephesians. And then I'm, I threw in some other stuff in there as well uh, from Colossians that mirrors what we're reading in Ephesians. And so... We can wait till the end of the service. We'll, if I remember, I'll have them passed out. But uh, if not, uh, we'll definitely have those laying out there for you. Uh, so anyway, Ephesians chapter 1. And before I begin, I'm going to pray uh, before we start. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray, and I know that there's others in this room praying right now, that uh, this time together would not just be me talking. But Lord, that your spirit would be a part of this service. Lord, you've promised to, to send your spirit to us and to have your spirit be uh, in, the, in our presence, Lord, when, when there are two or more gathered together, Lord. And so we pray for that. Lord, we pray for the filling of your spirit. Lord, we pray, God, that you would fill each person in this room with your spirit. Uh, that is our hope, Lord, that we have when we come to your word. Lord, that we might understand it and, and, and comprehend what it means and be able to apply it into our lives. Uh, in all these things, I just pray in your name. Amen. Uh, just a reminder before I read, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I know I say this a lot, but just in case you've forgotten, uh, or you haven't been here the weeks that I've, I've mentioned this, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence in the original, right? Paul wrote this in the, the Greek language, the common Greek language, and it wasn't uncommon for them to have long run-on sentences and we would consider that poor grammar. They would not. And, and so occasionally in the Bible, in, in the Greek, you have these long sentences. And in, particularly in the book of Ephesians, Paul has several very long sentences. Now we're coming up to the end of this one big long sentence. And it's taken us nine weeks to get through this big long sentence. And I'm not done yet. There's a couple more things we need to talk about before we're done. But this is, a, this is an amazing sentence. And there's so much in here. And so I'm going to read it through one time. If you just want to... Sit back and relax and just listen and, and try to, try to you know, pray through that as I'm reading through it, that, that this is something that God has for you today. Okay? So let me read this. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ." as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, <coughs> and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The cough wasn't in the original. That was extra. Um, this final section, verses 11 through 14, is about this concept of this inheritance he mentions. Right? In him we have obtained an inheritance. There's a couple things I want to mention about this inheritance. We're just going to kind of look at these last uh, four verses here. Uh, first of all, this is inheritance. Let me click through. It is something, if you, if you notice, it says obtained but not yet taken possession of. Right? It's obtained. This possession is obtained. In verse 11 it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. That, that obtained an inheritance, that's three words to us. In the original it was one word. Uh, Paul wrote one word. And we've translated it as this, these three words. This one word could, actually means chosen by lot. Now when we say chosen by lot... Right? Casting lots. It would be kind of like drawing straws. Right? Have you ever heard of that? Like there's one long straw. And, right? Now that's not to imply that this is a random uh, thing at all. Because in the Bible in more than one place talks about the casting of lots. That every decision is still of the Lord. Right? In other words, in God's economy, how God does things, there is nothing random. Random doesn't exist with God. Right? He is in control of all things. He is in all things and a part of all things. And so that's not to imply that it's random, but it, it's, it gives you this idea that it, you've been chosen by Lot. Just this idea of inheritance is implied. The reason why it's translated that way is because that's the idea that we're looking at. It, it's kind of like the same thing as if you were sitting at home one day and somebody called you up and said, Hey, uh, you know, Uncle so-and-so, you didn't know him, but uh, he passed away and, and, and you're the one. That gets it all. He's a billionaire, by the way. Right? It, now, it, it's, it's already, in many senses, it's already yours. It's, you're, you're in the will. It's there. It's yours. Right? It's, you've obtained this inheritance already. Does that make sense? But yet, you haven't actually taken possession of it in that you're not spending it. You're not reaping all of the benefits of it. Now, this is a, not a perfect illustration, but this is the idea that Paul is presenting here. Right? There's an inheritance that we have because of all these things that Paul's been talking about, all these things leading up to this. This is that inheritance that he's talking about. In many ways, it's already obtained. We have it right now in Christ, but yet there's still this concept of still taking possession of it. In fact, if you go down to verse 14, 13 and 14, at the very end it says, uh, My version said, Who's the guarantee of our inheritance or the pledge of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? Some versions put it this way. And I'll explain why it's different. Some versions talk about it being uh, that it's God taking it. It's the redemption of God's possession, right? Until God redeems his own possession. And so they're just not sure when they look at the Greek language here. Does it mean that we're going to take possession of our inheritance? Or does it mean that God is going to take possession of his inheritance? Right? And, and there's just some kind of question. In, in a very real way, both of those things are very true. There's an inheritance that we have that we're going to take possession of. But in a very real way, we are something that God is going to take possession of in a more full way when we're reunited with Him in person. Does that make sense? Right? There, there's a very real sense that... And this is why you even have some places in the New Testament earlier on where Jesus is talking about the Father and He's praying to the Father and He says, Lord, I thank You for everyone that You've given to Me. 
right? I thank you for everyone that you've given to me. In a very real sense, God's people are something that God has given to the Son, and the Son is saying, I'm going to give, you right, give them right back to you. And there's something going on between the Father and the Son in this love relationship. There's a gift sense, and it's us. And so in a very real way, God is blessed and pleased by His own creation as it's given an interchange and exchange between the Father and the Son. Now that's a little bit beyond all of my comprehension, but the Bible does allude to those ideas, and here's another example of that. But now, there's a little bit of a difference, though, between when we think of inheritance and what Paul is talking about. Let me give you some examples. Uh, It's similar in that, like a father with a son, right? My father, I hope maybe I'll have some inheritance, right? Uh, from, from my father, and there's, there's things I, that... that actually, she's going to fight me for it, though. I think we're going to have an arm wrestling match or something. But uh, at some point, there's an inheritance that we have. Right? And there's a similarity between that and what we have with the father. Now, the difference is that usually here on earth, for us to take possession of our inheritance, what usually has to happen? The father passes away, Right? And when that happens, then the children take possession of that inheritance. Well, clearly that's not what's going to happen in this situation, right? When Paul's talking about taking an inheritance, taking possession of that, we're not waiting for the father to pass away. And so there's there's a difference in that, but it's still a good illustration that Paul uses. And so it's different in the fact that the father isn't going to pass away. Now, there was death involved in this inheritance. The son came to earth and died on the cross that made that possible. Uh, there's a death to ourselves in order to be a part of that inheritance. We're, we die to our own selfish desires. The Bible talks about those things. Where There's a death to ourselves to be a part of this inheritance. There's also that eventual physical death. Before we take full possession of that inheritance to be in the presence of the Father, we will physically die. And so there's definitely those things involved, but there's still that concept of we've obtained it, it's ours, but we haven't fully taken possession of it. Now, before I go on, I need to ask this question, though, just to make sure we're all on the same page, so I'm going to put it up there. What is the inheritance? What's this inheritance? Right? What, what's Paul talking about? He says, you know, we have obtained inheritance, right? And he says, until we take possession of this inheritance, and the, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge to guarantee that. What, but what's the inheritance? Now, I'm going to ask you that question, and I want to hear your answers. I have a feeling most of you are going to go in a certain direction. That's okay. I want to hear what's the most common thing. When people think of the inheritance that Paul might be referring to in the Bible, what's the thing that pops in your mind first and foremost? Eternal life, right? Heaven, right? Going on forever. This escape, we may die physically, but then there's heaven. There's going on forever in these ideas. And that's kind of what I expected I would hear. What's the inheritance? Heaven, eternal life, right? These things going on. But now, now let me just, just say right now, first of all, a lot of us in America, we think about heaven and we start thinking about the, the pearly gates and we, we get pictures of people walking in on clouds and St. Peter's at the gate, right? The, these are the common American themes we think of when heaven. I want to tell you right now, uh, there's some allusions to truth in that, but that is not an accurate picture of what heaven is all about. Now, the pearly gates, definitely, the Bible does talk about there's going to be gates of pearl, but those are on a new city. The new city of, and you guys, Revelation people should know this, new city of Jerusalem. And that new city isn't floating around up on a cloud, it's on a new earth. 
You have to understand the Bible isn't about He's going to destroy the earth and everybody's going to be in this floaty existence for eternity. But God is actually going to recreate, after He destroys the earth, He's going to recreate a new, when He says a new heaven, a new earth, it's the same thing that He meant when He created in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's going to be new heavens and new earth. And the Bible is about the fact that after everything is said and done and all the things have happened, and God, God's, when He finally destroys the world, after this apocalypse, that God is going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a, an ex, a very real existence. Now, I don't have time to go into all that today, but we do have this Revelation class. If you want to hear more about that and what's going to happen and how we're going to get to that, I would encourage you to come to that Sunday school class. But in this context, in Ephesians, because that's what we're talking about, when it says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, is that what Paul's talking about, or is he referring to something else? And I would say he's very clearly referring to something else. He's referring to every spiritual blessing from verse 3. He's referring to the fact that we've been chosen. He's referring to the fact that we, we're going to be holy and blameless. He's referring to this adoption that he talks about as sons in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the redemption. He's talking about forgiveness. And he's talking about the, the knowledge of the truth, or this knowledge of the, the mystery of the ages has been revealed to us. God has made it known to us. This is the inheritance, right? This is the inheritance that Paul's referring to. He's, we've obtained this. Now, I want you to think about each one of these things. How, in a very real way, we have obtained them already, but yet there's still this not the fullness of And let me jump right to the, the, the holy and blameless, for example. When we talked about holy and blameless, in a very real sense, you are holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. You're declared righteous. You're, as far as God is concerned, you're legally just in Christ. But we all know, I'm not holy and blameless, Right? So, do you see how, in a very real sense, we've obtained holiness and blamelessness in Christ, but we don't have the fullness of that yet, because I'm still sinning all the time. One day, that's going to change, though, isn't it? And I'll take full possession. that I'll, Eventually, according to God's Word, I'm going to be in a state where I will no longer sin. God is going to restore me completely and give me a brand new body, brand new brain. Right? Everything's going to be made new. Or how about this one, adoption? In a very real sense, you are adopted into the family of God already. But yet you're still not fully in His presence, face to face. Right there He is. Right? Or how about redemption? We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. How we love to proclaim it, right? But yet, in a very real way, we're not fully brought back up into the presence of the Father yet. There's still things that the redeeming work is still happening all the time. It, we, we have obtained it, but there's not this full possession. There's forgiveness. Full forgiveness has been given. Every sin, past, present, and future that we've been done, there's a, there's a, 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 a forgiveness that's been granted to us. But yet, we struggle in the middle of that forgiveness because for us, it's still ongoing. For the Father, it's complete. He exists outside of time. And so for the Father, for God, it's complete. You're, you're completely forgiven. But for us, we're right in the middle of that. So we're struggling in the process. I know I've been forgiven, but man, I just sinned again. And how does that work? And we're, we're right in the middle of this process. So we've, been, we've obtained forgiveness, but yet we don't have that full possession of it's all in the past now. Right? And that knowledge of the truth. We've been given a knowledge of the truth, the mystery 
of the universe has been revealed to us. That's what we believe. This is why we're here at this church, and this is why we're not at a different kind of church. Or at a mosque, right? Or at some other thing. This is why we're, we're not out somewhere else just doing our own thing. This is why we're not just sitting there watching TV today. Because we believe that the mystery of the universe has been revealed in this Bible. I, I mentioned to the kids today in, in Sunday school class, the teens, I was talking about. Uh, the, the Bible is written in such a way, you may not realize this, but Jesus talks about this. Uh, for example, I'll just give one example, his parables. He specifically tells us that he tells things in parables and stories, and I believe this applies to much of Scripture, so that it will blind those who think that they can see, but those who realize they're blind, he can open their eyes. See, the Bible is written in such a way that somebody that comes to it and is is, is full of pride is not going to see that mystery, but those who come to the Word of God humbly, God opens their eyes so that they can see. Lord, teach me, and he shows us things. You know, in a very real sense, even though those mysteries have been revealed, and we're here today because we believe that God has revealed those mysteries, in a very real sense, there's still more to know, isn't there? Full possession of all those things that God is going to begin to unfold who He is in a very personal way, directly to us, face to face again. I mean, in a very real sense, each one of these things that God has given them to us and we've obtained them completely... In a very real sense, there's still more to be had. There's still that full possession that we will encounter one day. Now, the second thing I need to mention is that this inheritance is connected with or is about the gospel. Now, when I say the gospel, what does the word gospel mean? You guys know this. Good news. And this is good news. When we talk about these things, this is good news that God has for us. When we say gospel, it's exactly what Paul's been talking about. Uh, blessed, we're being blessed with every spiritual blessing. Uh, God has made that possible through Jesus Christ. There's been a, a great cost. This is what the gospel message is about. Is that it's about grace alone. That we will stand before God and it's completely by grace. No one in this room has any measure of boastability. None of us can say, oh, I'm here because I'm smarter, I'm wiser. No, no, absolutely not. You're only here, you're only a part of what God is doing because of God's grace. It's grace alone. This is good news. It's been made possible by a great price, Jesus Christ coming to the cross, right? Dying for our sins. This is good news. This is a news that needs proclaiming and that's what we're called to do. I have to say that, you know, as I talk about this with you, this, this gospel message is for every one of you in this room. Maybe you've been to church your whole life. You know, it's possible to go to church your whole life and still miss this message. Absolutely. Maybe you've gone to church just occasionally. And we, we have all different kinds of people in this room right now. We've got people that have gone to church the whole life. We've got people that have gone occasionally. We've got people that, that you know, we don't have any first-time people today, but there's people that just, maybe just recently you started going to church, and, or maybe you've heard this before. But I'm telling you right now, this message is for every one of you in this room. This gospel message, this good news is for you. That there is a God that the problem with sin and humanity that has separated them from God, God Himself, instead of allowing us, he, in some ways maybe He gave us a chance, but no human has ever been able to bridge that gap. We've all sinned. History has shown over and over again, man left to himself always goes the wrong way. But God Himself has bridged that gap through Jesus Christ. And that's for you. 
And that gospel message doesn't end with, okay, now I'm saved, okay, alright, good, I can go about my life now. That gospel message is ongoing. It impacts every area of your life. I'm constantly reminded of the gospel message when I think about getting up here to talk to you. If I was getting up here to talk to you, and like some professors do, they, they give their merits beforehand, right? Have you ever seen somebody introduce a speaker? Okay, we've got speaker so-and-so coming up today, and, and they've done this, and they've done this, and they've done this, and they've done this, and they've done these things here. And I'm constantly reminded that it, if I was depending upon my own merits to share the gospel, I got nothing, right? I got nothing. But that's what I love about the gospel, the gospel isn't been given to those who are wise in this world, but the, to, the, to the weak and to the small and to the, the foolish things of this world. This gospel message is for all of us. And so I can get up here today and I can say, okay, I'm going to get up here. And I haven't been perfect this week and I've struggled with sin. I've struggled with discouragement. I've struggled with this and that and the other thing. But I can get up here with confidence, not because of myself, but because I believe this gospel message. That Jesus is going to use me, not dependent on me, but completely dependent upon Him and His righteousness. I can pray because of the gospel. You can get down on your knees and you don't have to spend 20 minutes going through all the things you've done bad. I mean, it's good always to confess your sins to God on a regular basis and keep that, some of us would call it keeping a short account with God. But the truth is, you can go before God because of Jesus. It's not because of you. You're not going to get down on your knees and, and say, okay, have I remembered everything? Did I ask forgiveness for everything? You know, maybe God's not going to listen to me. And, and I, no. Because of the gospel message. Because of Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. You can enter into the very presence of God because of what Jesus has done. See, the gospel message affects that. See, it flows out into every part of your life. And so, whatever state you've been in, like I said, whether you've been in your, your whole life, whether you've just come occasionally. This gospel message for you is for you, and it's for your whole life. It's for every aspect of your life. Maybe, though, I need to change it just a little bit, and just saying, instead of just saying the inheritance is the gospel, maybe I need to say the inheritance is God. See, all the aspects of this chapter so far are in relation to restoring the relationship with God, the Father. In fact, you may say, I, I don't think it's an oversight of Paul's, as he's talking about, oh, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. There is not one mention in this big, long sentence. I mean, he carried it out really long, but there's not one mention of, I'm, I get to live forever in heaven. He doesn't even talk about that. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Let me tell you all the ways that God has blessed me. Yet he doesn't even mention, I get to go to heaven. I don't think that was Paul's oversight. I don't think that was accidental. I think it's because Paul understood and paused, he wrote, with the Spirit of God inspiring every word that we read. Paul knew that the inheritance wasn't what he gets, but who he gets. It's not about heaven. It's about the fact that you get to have a restored relationship with God the Father. That that is repaired and mended and redeemed and brought back together. The relationship has been brought back together. If I may say, uh, without now, be, let me say this before I, 
I tell you this. Yesterday I was sitting there saying, okay, God, I know that there are some preachers in this world that I have great respect for. And one of the things that I, I respect in many of these preachers that really preach God's truth is that they preach God's truth, uh, I think a good word is, is unashamedly. What God lays in their heart, they're willing to say it. Right? And so I'm going to tell you right now, as I was thinking that, like, okay, Lord, in this section, as I'm preparing this and I'm thinking through these things, Lord, what's the thing that needs to be said that I might be afraid to say? Okay? And so as I'm praying this, this is the thing that, that, okay, this is it. Right here. If I may say, we've had a, a generation issue. There's been a generation of Christians that has come and has grown now that has dropped the ball when it comes to presenting the gospel. Okay? Let me explain what I mean. For many people, sharing the gospel message has looked something like this. Hey, do you want to go to heaven? Well, sure. Right? Who doesn't? Okay. Uh, You don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, no. I already said I want to go to heaven. You want to go to hell? No. No, don't want to go to hell. All right. Well, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. That's it. Well, I already do. All right. You're fine. We go about our business. Now, I've made uh, allusions to one of my struggles with this for a long time. But you have to understand that what's happened in a a situation like that is this. And I'm going to explain myself. And if I say anything, you go, I don't don't know what he's talking about here. Feel free to ask me questions. We'll, We'll get to those things. When we present the gospel message as what you get is you get to go to heaven, I believe that we have cheapened the gospel into something that's purely selfish. We've cheapened it down to, I get to live forever, that's what I want to do. In fact, here, let, me, let me show you why this is such a cheapened state of the gospel. Because there's some people that, that say... Yeah, I'd like heaven, but I don't really want God. I mean, frankly, when I think about heaven, it sounds kind of boring, but I don't want to go to hell, so okay. And we've cheapened the gospel into, it's just about heaven. Heaven, my friends, is, 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 a, is a side, it's, it's a byproduct of what you get. It, there's a passage in uh, John where Jesus is talking about, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come again. And the whole point of what he's saying is not the place that he's preparing. The whole point of what he's saying is that I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back to get you so you can be with me. And in fact, the, the, the first disciple to say something after that says, Lord, just, just let us have the Father. That's all we need. We don't care about this place, basically. Is what I'm saying. We, the, 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 the place isn't the issue. They say, just give us the Father. Give us God. That's all we want. And Jesus does a little bit of a reprimand to him. And he says, he says, have you not known me? I've been with you this whole time. But don't miss the, the key element of that story is that here Jesus said, I'm going and I'm going to come back so that you can be with me. And the disciples are saying, that's all I want. We just want to be with you. Wherever you're at. And they struggled with that in an earthly sense when, when Jesus was taken to the cross. They abandoned Him. But, but you see them, uh, the work in the, of the Spirit of God in their lives later on. All they wanted to do was be with Him. And be a part of what He was doing. 
In fact, they, they considered it and they counted it worthy. They, they said, I can't believe we've been counted worthy. The first time that they were persecuted and, and beaten for their faith, they said, we can't believe we've been counted worthy to, to suffer the way he suffered. And they wanted that just so they could be like him and be a part of what he was doing and be where he was going. When we condense the gospel down to just, hey, you get to go to heaven, we've cheapened the gospel into something purely selfish. And it shows. It shows. That entire generation, this entire focus on this, now we have a whole generation that's coming up that's my age that is leaving the church. This is not me that's saying this. There's facts and statistics that will tell you. There's people in my age group that are just leaving the church in, in, I think the right word is droves of people leaving the church. Right? And the weird thing about it is they leave the church, they leave the faith, they walk away from all of this, but yet they think they're fine. You see what's happened? See, when you cheapen the gospel message and you make it not what it actually is, it leads to all sorts of other issues. And so now we have a whole generation of people growing up that, that think they're fine, they're fine. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, I'm fine. And, but there's nothing at all. They don't want Jesus at all in their life. They just want to go to heaven. And they think, if I just do that, then I'm fine, okay, and they move on with their life. The Bible doesn't teach that. And now we have a third generation of kids that are coming up. And this generation that's coming up for the most part are not in church and know almost nothing of the gospel. In fact, it's been boiled down to this idea. Most of the kids that I know whose parents or their grandparents went to church, and I'm saying this from personal experience, the kids that I know where I teach, the grandparents went to church, the parents went sporadically, they don't go at all. And if they do, they have no comprehension of the gospel. They believe that people who are good go to heaven and people who are bad go to hell. The gospel message has been completely lost. They still want heaven. But the gospel's been lost. This good news. The fact that the gospel is about God. It's about a restored relationship with Him. I believe that one of the visions for Edgewood, what I hope that Edgewood becomes, is a church that is about the real gospel. It's about God. And I think that we need to reclaim the gospel. And so I want to give you a couple ways just from this passage that we can reclaim the gospel. Um, I believe it's, first of all, it's time to proclaim the great inheritance. When we share the gospel, it shouldn't be about, hey, do you want to go to heaven? It should be about, hey, do you want to have a restored relationship with God? I would like to give you one example from Scripture. And I have this on the slide. You don't have to uh, turn there unless you want to. It's going to be from 1 John. I want to just give you one example of how proclaiming the great inheritance is shown in what some of these disciples, some of these followers of Jesus said. And so we're going to look at 1 John. This was John, who was a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. When John wrote his gospel message, the story of Jesus, he never called himself John. He just called himself the disciple Jesus loved. So he had lost his identity as just someone that Jesus loves. But here he writes this letter, and this letter was written to another group of Christians, and, and I, I'm going to jump to it. He says this, this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to read. Now John is talking, now I, I want to see if you can figure out what he's talking about here. Listen to what John says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. What do you think he's talking about? Or maybe, who is he talking about? He was, wasn't he? Look, do you hear that in there? That which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Okay? Let's do the rest. Concerning the word of life, right? The life was made manifest. Now, made manifest means made tangible. The life from eternity past stepped into time, as Michael Card puts it. Eternity stepped into time. The life became flesh. The life was made manifest, right? The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the, what's he say? The eternal life. Now wait a minute. When he says we proclaim to you the eternal life, is he talking about getting to go to heaven? What does he mean when he says the eternal life? Isn't he referring to Jesus? Which was with the Father was made manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus. The eternal life. You get to have the eternal life. He's not talking about, hey, you get to live forever. He's saying, you get to have Jesus. Let me, let me go a little bit further. 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he says this. He, he's talking about how you can know. And now, by the way, if you ever want to know, man, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I want to know if I'm a Christian or not. First John is the only book of the Bible that ever uses the word know when it comes to relationship to knowing whether or not you're saved. Okay? No other book of the Bible says this is how you can know. A lot of places in the Bible says this is how you can be. But this is the only book that says this is how you can know. Listen to what he says here. We know that we have passed out of death into... Oh, I don't have it up there yet. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Right? He says, Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Kids, by the way, (laughs) don't hate your brothers. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, wait a minute. What's he saying there? You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, if you think eternal life in this case is referring to you get to live forever, then that, that last abiding, in, that doesn't make sense unless you understand what he said at the beginning. You know, you have Jesus, the eternal life. John actually has a habit of doing that. He calls Jesus lots of different things. He calls him the Word. He calls him life. He calls him light. And here he is again. If you want to know that you have Jesus... The eternal life. This, Jesus is such a life. It's an abundant, overflowing, eternal kind of life. If you get to the very end of 1 John, John 5.20, he says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. We are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, Right? Jesus Christ. And then he says, He is the true God and eternal life. Once again, here John says, and that, this is just an example. Of, when we talk about proclaiming the gospel to people, we're not talking about saying, Hey, do you want to go to heaven and I have to go to hell? Then, okay, just do this and then you're fine. Boom. That is, that is not the gospel message. 
The gospel message is much, much deeper and bigger and wider and broader than that. It's not about a selfish motivation to say, well, I don't really want to have to suffer for eternity, so what do I have to do? You're missing the whole point. God is offering you eternal life in the sense that He's offering you Jesus. That you can be in Him and Him in you. It's about that restored relationship. I also need to say that proclaiming the gospel also needs to involve not just proclaiming the great inheritance, but also proclaiming, right? It's time to proclaim the guarantee of our inheritance. At the very end of Ephesians chapter 1, verses, 3, or verses 11 through 14, when he mentions inheritance again, uh, verse 13 he says, uh, We were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee or the pledge of our inheritance. He's the seal. Now that means, uh, that's maybe unfamiliar to some of us, but uh, the Holy Spirit being given to us as a seal to guarantee our inheritance. This, this is one of the most powerful verses that talks about what, what is known in the theology world as eternal security. We believe that once a person is saved, they're always saved. You can't walk away from or lose your salvation. And this is a perfect example of that, that the Holy Spirit is given as a seal to guarantee it. It's like a royal stamp has been put on a person. That's what this is referring to. And the stamp is the Holy Spirit. But I don't want you to miss the deeper issue that's being involved here. See, you, you can't see your salvation, can you? You can't see God personally yet. You, can't, you, don't, you didn't get a paper showing you you're redeemed. You didn't get a, you know, an actual physical stamp put on your head. It's not like when you got saved and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and that happened that, that suddenly there was a you know, letter in your mail that said, Hey, just a you know, letter from heaven. Just want to know. You're saved now. Keep this. You know. it, it's not like that. God in His infinite wisdom, the seal that He's given to you is the promised Spirit that Jesus promised when He left. He said, I'm going to leave but I'm going to send you the Spirit to be with you. That means that part of the salvation message, part of the gospel message is that uh, someone who is truly saved has a spirit-filled life. You are, might we say, spiritually minded people. See, the way that you can recognize that you are, that this gospel thing is going on in you, see, because you can't see, you didn't get a piece of paper in the mail, you didn't get a stamp, you didn't get a plaque. What does God give you instead? He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change you. I'm going to send my, the, the Spirit of God, like it says in Romans, the same Spirit that filled Jesus Christ when Jesus was dead and his, He was decomposing in the grave and He was injured and His heart had been pierced. That same Spirit, the Bible says in Romans, that, that gave Jesus life again, that rose Him up from the grave, is the same Spirit that God says, I'm going to send into you. We sang a song earlier that says, He is mighty to save. God is mighty to save people. The way, part of the gospel message, the way that you can know that you're saved, to know that God is working in you, is to see, you see it. it the Spirit of God, the almighty, powerful Spirit of God that created the universe, is now at work in human hearts to change them. And so God says, hey, I'm going to let you know how you can know that your faith is genuinely in me. That you know that you're believing in me and that you're trusting me. The way that you can know is that I am going to radically change who you are. Now some of you know some stories of people like that, don't you? Man, you see somebody, they were totally headed off this way, down this pit. And of no power of their own, God stepped into their life and turned them around. 
That was the Spirit of God, the promised Spirit that God promised, I'll send, I will, I will seal everyone that believes with this Spirit. That means as we proclaim the Gospel, part of our message is that God is mighty to save you. Not just to give you a life that you'll get to go to heaven and float around in clouds, but He's actually going to change you now. That eternal life happens now. The eternal life is in you and dwelling inside of you. That's the seal. Now, some of you are thinking right now, well, wait a minute, what's that mean? I mean, I I say that I believe in Jesus, but I haven't had much change in my life. In fact, I I think of the lost people. I'm I'm a pretty moral person, but as far as being spirit-filled, to have God's spirit in me, that sounds foreign. Part of the reason why that sounds foreign is because Christians have not done a good enough job presenting the gospel and telling people this is part of it. This is part of it. It's, we've also failed people because we, we've allowed it to seep into our society that, that believing in Jesus simply means you believe He exists. The Bible says that you've put your faith in Him, your trust in Him. That when you, when you, What is your compass of life? What's the thing you say? What's determining everything I do? It's Jesus. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. That you, you put all of your stock in Jesus. You put all of your decisions are riding on what He thinks and what He wants and what He wants you to do. No longer are you anymore living for yourself. You're, you're living for something else. And you say, well, I, I tried to do that and just doesn't work. But the Spirit of God does that in you. God does that. God does that. That's the good news of the gospel. Once again, it's about grace. Hopefully, as we're discussing these things, and we're talking about what Paul has to say, I hope that it's stirring up some thoughts and maybe questions in your mind. That's okay. In fact, I don't even want you to just believe me. Uh, We've got a Bible that God has given us. I, I encourage you to go to it. I guarantee, no matter where you're at in your life, what level of education you've had, how much you've read the Bible, if you come to God's Word humbly and just say, teach me, show me, I can guarantee you this, that God will do that if you come humbly before Him. Say, Lord, show me, teach me, help me to understand this. I was kind of thinking this about religion and church and God, and man, this guy's saying this, that sounds a little bit different. And then I heard this guy on the radio, and he said something a little bit even different than that. And I heard this guy on TV, and, and just, if you come to God, and you say, Lord, show me, teach me, I guarantee that he will. I guarantee that he will. I want to encourage you to do that as well. Now, the next couple weeks... I haven't decided if it's going to be one or two weeks yet. But in 11 through 14, there's a couple of other issues that we need to deal with. And I just want to give you what those things are. uh, And then uh, I'll dismiss you. 11 through 14 also talks about how the gospel has unfolded to us. It talks about how the gospel message has unfolded eternally. In eternity past and into the future. It talks about how the gospel message has unfolded into history with the Jews and now with us. It talks about how the gospel unfolds into a person's life personally. What does that look like when it folds, when the gospel message is in you? I want to encourage you to, to come and hear those things and, and be praying during the week. 
Maybe, maybe this has stirred up some thoughts in your head and you're thinking, this is, you know, these things of the Bible, this sounds a little bit different than what I thought. And I want to encourage you to, to, to grab one of those bookmarks we've got and read through Ephesians and, and, and pray that God will give you understanding. And, and then come here next week critically minded. Okay, I'm going to listen to, you know, ready to pick this thing apart. What's he talking about? Come critically minded to, to hear and, and to evaluate and to analyze. And maybe you heard something I said and we'll grab your Bible and see if it's accurate. I'm a human being. Right? But God's word stands true. I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, but before I do, I want to say one last time. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what? I've heard this. I just don't know. I'll talk about it next week. But notice that verse 13, it says... In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, right, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, if, if at some point you've heard this word of truth and you say, I believe it. Salvation is not about a set number of steps. But if you're getting to that place in your life, you say, I, I believe this. I think I believe this stuff. I was not for sure earlier. I thought I believed But man, I'm there. I believe this. I would really like to hear that. I would love to hear that. I would love to hear you say, I believe this. It's not about getting it. Now, there's one thing that we always, Christians we always do, to, to, we want everybody, if you've gotten to a place and you think, I, I believe this now, I, I'm, I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in this bag. This, the Word of God is true. There's one thing that we as Christians, we do to let everybody know. I'm, on, I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in one basket and it's the Bible. It's Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, everything's there. Uh, we, we have this baptismal up here and that's what we use that for. It's a way of saying, I'm dying to my old self and I, I'm going to live for Jesus now. And I just want everybody to know. And if you've gotten to that place in your life, I want to encourage you to say, you know, that's where I need to go next. Because I want everybody to know. And I want people to keep me accountable. Because you need that. Right? You need that. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, you need people checking in on you and, and looking out for you and watching over you. And you're watching out for us and keeping a check on us. And that's what church is about. So I want to encourage you, if you get in that place in your life, and say, I, I, I believe this. Uh, I want to ask you, to come tell me, talk to me about it. I'd love to hear it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm going to close this in prayer. And uh, that's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I, I, I thank you, Lord. Personally, I thank you that it, it makes sense, Lord. It all fits together. Lord, that there's, it's not full of contradictions and, and, and things that... But Lord, as we come humbly to it, Lord, you teach us and you show us truth and reveal those mysteries of the word of God to us and help us to understand those things. And I praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you'd be with everyone in this room today. Lord, if... There's people in the room that are on that, that border. Oh, I think, I'm not sure. Lord, God, I, I just want to commit them into your hands and, and pray that your spirit would be with them and, and give them understanding and insight in, into this wisdom of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church to reclaim a presentation of the gospel that doesn't cheapen it. Lord, help us to present the gospel when we're at work and when we're with our neighbors and we're with our friends. Lord, help us to present the gospel message to people for what it really is. Guide us into your truth. 
Give us those opportunities to present it. Help us not to hold back or be ashamed or to, to, to have second thoughts for the Lord to truly present your gospel message to all that we know. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill us. Lord, as you promised, you promised that you've given us your spirit. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill us as we go through our week and that it would give us the power to do what is right and that we would then do those things by your spirit. All of these things, I just commit the rest of this day to you. And everyone in this room, Lord, I commit them all to you and ask that you would just be with us, guide us. In your name I pray. Amen.